at whatever time you're listening to us. Welcome to another episode of the Down in the Valley podcast. My name is Cesar Nochoa, and I am one of your co-hosts for this RGB-specific audio podcast and video, of course. Um, But although I haven't done that in the last couple of years, but anyway... Welcome back to another to another episode, guys. Uh, appreciate all of your support. I want to thank everybody who listened to last week's episode. Uh, we received up to 41 plays in this last week's episode of the Down in the Valley podcast. It is officially the most wa- listened episode in all of our history. So thank you guys for your support and for uh, trusting us in bringing you uh, coverage and information about RGVFC. But... I don't do this alone. Of course not. Alongside me, I've got my good friend and the co-host of this show, Jacob Young. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, looking forward to talk. Just looking forward to talk soccer. It should be fun for all three of the matches that we have to catch you all up on, or well, at least the OCSC match, and then LA Galaxy two, and then of course the rivalry on Sunday. So. It's, it's a stacked show, Edson. This is going to be fun. And because it's a, ta- a stacked show, let's go ahead and move on straight to what we're going to be talking about today. So last Saturday, the RGVFC Toros had their first away uh, game of the 2022 season against the reigning USL Championship champions, none, uh, you know, nonetheless. And uh, right off the bat, I think we knew that this match was going to be very, very difficult for RGVFC. You couple that with the fact that you've got a midweek match against LA Galaxy 2 on Wednesday. And with all of the injuries that we've had in the last couple of weeks, it was going to be very interesting to see how Wilmer Cabrera was going to tackle this. Was he going to go all out with that high pressure like he did against Oakland Roots? Um um last week or was he going to play a little bit more conservative to try to maintain you know some fitness from uh, from these players or at least some rotation when saturday came you saw a little bit of a rotation in some spots not all of them right off the bat you know what i think what stuck out the most was the fact that tyler derrick was not in the 18 and this place, Colin Miller makes me believe there's another injury that happened, but we'll never know for sure. We know how RGVFC loves being transparent about injuries. But we can definitely kind of speculate that it's in, due to the fact of last week or due to the fact that the weekend before the opening day game, when RGVFC's Tyler Derrick came in and had a good save, a couple of good saves. He took a bad fall in one of those saves, if I'm not mistaken, where it was very awkward and it was like collision with an it was a collision with another player. I think that's where he definitely maybe, you know, had a swelled up knee for a week or something crazy where he wasn't able to practice enough or something like that. So definitely it was a tough game for Tyler Derrick or it's Wilmer Cabrera being Wilmer Cabrera where all of a sudden he's like, let's give Miller a, an opportunity here. He, we know Miller's pretty good and we'll give Derrick a break that he probably needed from again that last week. And he'll, 
Garrick will be ready for Wednesday. So it could also have been tactical. See, but I get what you're trying to say, but then you see the substitute list and you see Garcia, Javier Garcia on the bench, which leads me to believe that Tyler Derrick probably did not make the trip, so he won't be available against LA Galaxy 2 either. But like I said, with the lack of uh, official announcements from the club, it's only speculation on our end. You know, so the starting 11 for RGV uh, for this match, you had Colin Miller and Gold, just like we mentioned. Uh, you had uh, Donovan Ricketts replacing Luka Malasevich out on that um, right back position. You had Nate, uh, Weha Backway and Jesus Vasquez as center backs, and then Robert Coronado as a left back. Right off the bat, I have a feeling that we either thought like Wilmer Cabrera and when we talked about it last uh, episode, or he, no, I don't think he listened. Anyway, no, <laughs> I, I think we actually were, I think our evaluation on Luka Malasevich was what Wilmer Cabrera was thinking be, uh, because, you know, we mentioned last episode that uh, out of all the four defenders that played against Oakland Roots, uh, Luka Malasevich appeared to be the one that was having the most trouble, you know, keeping up. Uh, with Oakland Roots. And so I'm guessing he wanted to give uh, Don, uh, Jonathan Ricketts an opportunity against uh, the reigning champions. Yeah, and I think that was definitely a fair assumption from both of us. And Ricketts to have that opportunity to see if, well, he could maybe tur- turn up the offense a little bit and just basically, basically be that key player that we knew he could definitely be. And... Yes, Melsevich. Now, on the other hand, he, he will only have more and more time to grow as a player, especially for this year. So I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to see the new player come in and have an opportunity to kind of spark. Well, just do well against the reigning champs because we all knew it was going back to it a tough match with the mm-hmm. reigning champs. Yeah. And then the midfield, you maintained the same three uh, midfielders that started against Oakland Roots, Emilio Icaza, Isidro Martinez, and Juan Pablo Torres. Uh, And up on top, you were playing with uh, Ricky Reese, uh, Dylan Borjak, and Frank Lopez as Mm -hmm. your your trident uh, up on top. As we mentioned in the substitutes, you had uh, Javier Garcia, you had uh, the Cuban center back, uh, Luis, uh, Luka Malasevich, uh, Mueller, Nadars, and uh, Duilio Her- Herrera uh, out of the bench. So you only had six players on that bench. <sighs> should, be we, should we be worried? Because no Juan David Cabezas, experienced player. No Gringo Torres, or you could say our star signing in this offseason. No Eric Pimentel still. Now you add possibly Tyler Derrick to that list. And I know I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but you're also adding now we have Akwe to that list of injury injured players. And you don't have Adolfo Hernandez, the other striker either. So you pretty much 
are stuck. I don't say, I don't want to say it in a bad way. Not you're not stuck, but you only have you can only depend on Frank Lopez to be that striker. Yeah. I I wouldn't say sound the alarm yet because it's just the start of this season, but it's de- it definitely has not helped that RGVFC have had most likely all these injuries. Now, of course, they're not official due to the fact that USL doesn't necessarily make that. They don't make injuries mandatory to say. Therefore, coaches don't necessarily like to say that because in the end, it doesn't matter uh, to some extent. And definitely, well, you don't give the you don't give the managers that opportunity to scout that way and say, oh, those players are out for this team. Perfect. We can decide to get ready to play against most likely this squad with this team on the with this team on the bench and this team as a starting 11. So that's also, of course, a plus. But we go back to it. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult in any game, as well as, of course, OCSC with only having six players most likely on the bench. Correct. And, but I think overall, um, I don't know which, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I was certainly pleased with how the Toros acted defensively in the first half. One of the questions that I asked in the episode of last week was, or I either, was it last week or maybe uh, on the striker Tejas, but it was basically Will Wilmer Cabrera continue with this high pressure like he did at home against Oakland, or was he going to kind of settle back? And to me, it felt like it wasn't as high pressure, obviously, because you want to save your fatigue. You want to limit your fatigue because you've got a midweek game. So you can't be all, you know, uh, balls out, uh, high pressure for 90 minutes, you know, because you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to burn your players, right? They're going to burn out. So it seemed to me like this week, uh, RGV was a little bit more patient. And rather than going for that high pressure deeper than they have, they played it more of just blocking off the channels between the midfield and Cubo Torres. And it seemed to pay off really well in the first half. The Toros limited Orange County to only two shots, one of them on target in the first half. Meanwhile, the Toros had four shots or five shots, none of them on target. That is another, that's what worries me. Defensively, I think we're doing well. I think it's shown potential, and I said it last week. But offensively, we saw the same thing in that first half, where they're creating opportunities but either their crosses weren't accurate or they got themselves a shot. They didn't even like do, they didn't even tickle the goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's well, the struggle that we saw in the first game. And that's been the most frustrating thing is yeah, sure. We can have all the shots in the freaking world that we want, but if they're not on target, they're useless. And of course, the block shots, those don't help either because, well, they're blocked and they don't necessarily count as shots too. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed with at least 
the buildup plays for RGFC because they were able to keep a lot of possession, especially in that first half. And it was nice to see, especially also with that defense. But it was frustrating to get to that final third and not necessarily have an opportunity to go for goal. And RGVSC did show that a lot, but they still looked like that better side in the first half, which is crazy to say. Yeah. And then the second half came along and the performance from RGV continued. They seemed to have more possession of that ball. Uh, they kept on limiting the chances from Orange County SC, but things took a dark turn extremely quickly. At the 50, what was it? The 55th minute. At the 55th minute, Emilio Icaza gets a yellow card, which meant he was going to be ejected from the match. Yep. And I personally think that that was a very soft and, dare I say, incorrect call from the referee. I think it was fair. I know Why? it's crazy. It's crazy to say it. Well, because Emilio Icaza came in there already recklessly. It doesn't matter. You make the contact. You come from behind. You're going to get the yellow card. That's the thing. Nine he didn't make contact. You want to say you want to you want to know who made contact in that play? Juan who? Pablo Torres. Juan Pablo Torres was the one that fouled that that fouled Mil- Milan Ilowski. Not Emilio Icaza. If anything. Emilio's arm just kind of graced uh, Iloski's arm, but that didn't cause him to fall. He continued to run. Juan Pablo Torres is the one that knocks him down. And here's the thing, and this is what pissed me off the most. Forgive my language. The referee was already already walking towards Juan Pablo Torres. Then all of a sudden, turns around towards Emilio Icaza, gives him the yellow, gives him the red, and starts doing this, like saying that Emilio Icaza pulled Milanelowski. When if you watch the replay, that is not the case at all. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's fair. <laughs> it just, I don't know. He was but, there in the vicinity and felt like, I mean, Look, I've said it many times on social media and on the show. I hate saying that the referees influence the game negatively against my team with their decisions. And that is not the point I'm trying to make about this game. And we'll talk about it when we get to it. But I'm going to, spoiler alert, I do think that RGV shot themselves in the foot in the last couple of minutes of this match. However, oh, definitely. however, I do feel that the referee had a tendency to be a lot more lenient to Orange County than to RGV. Emilio Icaza gets yellowed in the 26th minute, right? couple minutes later there is a similar foul from orange county sc oh keep in mind that that was emilio's first foul and he got the yellow right away a couple minutes later ocse makes a similar foul 
no card. OCSC was the one, were the ones that started playing dirty to RGV. When RGV started doing the same thing, that's when the yellow started coming out. It's ridiculous that the referees in, in the USL from uh, pro referees cannot maintain interpretation of the rules. And honest, honestly, like I said, you know, with, and I'll even go as far as saying this, the referee wanted to compensate the fact that he was starting to lose control of the game oh, yeah. with, with the cards. That's exactly what happened, Edson, because we didn't see a push for yellow cards until that second half, really. <clears throat> and to be fair, I felt like the referee was doing a good job in that first half letting them play, and it was nice to see that. It was. I don't. I didn't feel like the game was out of control in my perspective, especially from that first half watching on ESPN Plus. Second half, it was still pretty calm for the most part until, of course, he started to give out yellow cards. I felt mm-hmm. like he did give out a couple of early yellow cards in that first half, but that was to try and you know control the game and say, hey, hey, I'm you know, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. This is, I'm not going to accept this or whatever. But yeah, no, it was that second half that it seemed like it did things did get out of control with because of the referee. I don't feel like things were out of control until the referee stepped in and made things a little bit crazier. Yes, I did just watch that replay of Ikaza's so-called yellow card. There's not a great angle for that, but I will say this. It was Torres that was in the vicinity. Don't know where Ikaza was because it does not show, and all of a sudden Ikaza gets the yellow card, and yes, of course, he yeah. gets the red. So, yeah, it did not make any sense as well. I do now agree with you on that. I thought I saw it differently. Again, I thought Ikaza was the person there, but no, it was Torres. You were correct on and that. And Torres so, yeah, maybe just, should have yeah. been the person that should have gotten the yellow. Oh, I definitely. don't know if immediately Ikaza said something to the ref because yeah, he to. turned around. he turned around right away. But if that was the case, why did did the referee make this hand signal as if he had pulled a player? I would not be surprised if RGV uh, appeals that yellow card. I hope hope they do. I'm not saying they're going to get it taken away, but at least an appeal. Because from what we're seeing, based on the video footage, there was no grounds for the second yellow. The first yellow, maybe a little bit rigorous, right? Mm. But in the end, there was contact. There was a foul. Oh, easily. Right? Mm. But the second yellow, there were no, uh, there's no evidence that he pulled. At least, yeah, at least have it, you know, switched. The player switched from at least putting it on to JPT Mm -hmm. on Pablo Torres and allowing Ikaza to, well, be available for next game, which is important now that we, you know, go back to it. He's now sitting on a red card, and this is his first red card of the season, two games in, when we know he's not that aggressive person. Ikaza getting that. Yes, of course, he's got to be careful now with his slide tackles in the first half because, well, let's be fair. You make contact, you're going to get a yellow card. (laughs) 
it's it's a whole thing of the referees just trying to be like you said Edson he was trying to compensate for the loss of so-called control again I think the control is fine until he stepped in so it's just it's yeah it's a little annoying and yet despite being down a man you mentioned it to me because I was like well (laughs) you know Uh you know and but you said on Twitter, yeah, they were still the better team out there on the pitch despite being down a man. They still maintained some possession, they still had some opportunities, not accurate, but they still kept Orange County at bay to some extent. Then in the 53rd minute. There's a play where Orange County SC tries to go for a long through ball over to Cubo Torres. Yep. Wayham Ackway cleanly sh- uh, jostles the uh, or jostles possession of the ball mm-hmm. in Kubo's attempt to what's the word I'm looking for. In his attempt to, em, what is it? It's not embezzle. Uh, that that that's Wall Street. That's a Wall Street term. Uh, no, embellish. There it is. In his attempt to embellish and hope that the referee called the foul, Kubo Torres causes Wayhab Akwe to misstep and mess up his ankle. Mm-hmm. He, have, he now has to be subbed off at the 53rd minute to bring in Luis as a center back. I think from that point on, like I said, that's when RGV started kind of losing control defensively. Oh, and you also brought in, uh, what was his name? Uh, Nadars. Nodars. I know I'm probably butchering, butchering that name. But Frank Nadars, to me, hurt RGV more than it helped. Luis yep. had some key intercept, or not interceptions, but key clearances. There was one in particular where the their cross was made. And it might have been either Michael, no, it was Eloski. Well, that had Luis not been six foot five, that ball would have landed straight towards him and and, and into the net. Yep. And he had some other uh, other uh, opportunities to clear uh, clearances as well. You look at his performance for uh, Dan- Daniel Luis. And he had five clearances despite the short amount of time. However, Nadar's Frank, when he came in, he had a couple of mm, bad decisions, including the first goal. If you look at the replay, Shanugo Ukoli beats him to the border of the six yard line to 
deflect that ball into the back of the net. He lost him very, very easily. Like Ukoli didn't really have to do much. He just ran and he quickly left Nadars behind. The substitution to me of Ugo Ukoli changed the game because Kubo Torres, I think as you pro- if you guys are Dynamo fans or Chivas fans, you know that he was a promising player when he was in the academy, but came, became a complete dud once he reached professional level. Except, except with Chivas USA, but, and guess who was the head coach at that time of Chivas USA? That's right, Wilmer Cabrera. But Kubo Torres didn't do anything in that match. You bring in Sean Ugocoli, a, a, a veteran in the USL. He's got experience in the USL. He's more adapted to the USL's kind of play, style of play. And he made damage, you know. He scored those two goals. But that first one, like I said, he went past Nadars really, really easily. And to bring in Nadars, let me see. You subbed off Dylan Borshak to bring in Nadars. Yep. So what happened is that, at least to me, it seemed like you sacrificed the attack to park the bus. Mm-hmm. Which I think is fair, Edson, considering, well, RGVFC now are down a man. But I guess they could have kept the same thing. I guess in the end, in retrospect now, because you can all think back to, oh, I could have done this and it could have been better. But yeah, I guess in retrospect, the right call was to keep the offense moving the way that they were, even though it would be a bit of a hole in the gap, but I think that might may have worked. Maybe just keep those same lineup and back it up a bit, even though they were already normally do counterattacking football, counterattacking soccer in general is what it would look like. So yeah, you can you have to sacrifice somewhat of your offense when normally you're down a man, or at least that's what the book of statistics says. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's just it, you could go back and forth on that all day and you could get two coaches in here and they could go back and forth about it all day too. It's like, no, you, you should keep the offense the same. No, you should keep the defense or you should bring in players for defense and back up and just, it, it's a, it's a whole mess. So I think Wilmer Cabrera did a fine job of deciding to do that. Just maybe used a wrong substitution and should have gone with a different player instead. But and it all goes then back again, to, who do you get? Yeah. And it all goes back to, you know, what do you have available on the bench? Exactly. And like you said, hindsight is 2020. <laughs> hindsight is hindsight. I should have gra- I should have graduated in four years instead of taking eight years to get my degree. But there's nothing I can do anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get what you're trying to say. And I'm not trying to say that it was, you know, it was a bad call necessarily to kind of park the bus. Because in fact, if you look at his average position, he took up a midfield position. Yep rather than being an addition to the back line. But I do feel like Nadars was kind of out of, out of sync with the rest of the, with the rest of his teammates. And like I, like I said, he was a key part in the first goal, you know, 
But, you know, uh, despite that, oh, before that, there was this particular play that I thought should have been scored on by Michael Orozco. It was that cross where he was left all alone out there on the far post. Yes. And somehow he skied that wide off of Colin Miller's goal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, this is like we got really, really lucky. Yep. You know? Uh, but it, it all goes back to, you know, uh, the organization. I think, like I said, once you lost uh, We Have Acqua, I think a little bit of, we fell a little bit into disorganization. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It's just, you have to have that veteranicity. I go back to that word that I say, say a lot <clears throat> on here. But it is true. You have that veteran player. You have that mentality he's able to get everybody straight first off we go back to it you lose tyler derrick so you don't have that person in the back line to help out especially on free kicks then you lose akway who's who plays a little bit further up that's tougher as well now you've got a lot of young younger players on the pitch that yes they're very good but they don't have that soccer IQ as the others because they're still younger and still learning the game. So it does always become an issue. And that's why we go back to it when Wilmer Cabrera took over and decided to make this team more of a seniority. It helped this, it helped this club out a ton more than where they were at the years prior when Houston Dynamo were in charge and dug this team to the ground. So it's a little bit more of a balance and we did like that, but getting those players taken off due to injury or substitutions will always hurt and it will show, but hopefully it doesn't hurt too bad to where you score goals. So now I don't know. I don't know if any of y'all identified this and it, and it ties back to what we talked about last week about Dylan Porsche. Keep in mind that play was in the 69th minute and Dylan Borjak came out in the 59th minute. Remember last week how we were talking about how Dylan Borjak had that sacrifice yes. of coming down to help defend whenever they needed to? Mm-hmm. Robert Coronado already had players to mark inside the box, like right near the penalty area. Usually, the way the chemistry had worked was that Robert Coronado knew he had Dylan Borjak uh, like in back of him for those kind of situations, taking care of that far post. Mm-hmm. But Frank Nadars, he didn't uh, he didn't really come back down, uh, if I recall correctly, in that particular area, which left Michael Olosco out alone. And when Robert Coronado turns around and sees Michael Orozco like he's grabbing the ball and getting preparing himself for the volley, left him surprised. But it all goes back to the um the play style of Dylan Borjak and how it kind of blends in to how Wilmer Cabrera wants this play. That characteristic, right? So, like I said, if you probably, if you did not think about that that possibility, I mean, that's my theory, at least in, in that game, that, you know, that Dylan Borjak kind of did, uh, the taking out Dylan Borjak kind of, um, screwed a little bit 
the the way that they were playing right mm -hmm. so but then moving on um rgv that's when i guess when they started seeing the writing on the wall rgv that's when they started to um employ the high pressure again yep. and eventually that high pressure did uh did bear fruit with the goal by frank lopez in the 86th minute if you notice Duilio goes up to Duilio Herrera goes up to pressure the defender, forcing him to clear that ball towards the middle of the field to try to find his teammate. His teammate does not control that ball correctly, and yet, and you had Ricky Reese right there to pounce on that bad control. Dispossesses, receives a foul. The ball lands towards the feet of Frank Lopez, and Frank Lopez takes that shot that was unstoppable for the goalkeeper. This was in the 86th minute, like almost to full time. And RGV was so close to going away with a draw from Championship Stadium. Yeah, uh, it was a fantastic goal. Every all the buildup was perfect considering that referee allowed and this is the biggest thing Edson we might have talked bad about the referee given the foul that ended up being a red card to Ikaza but he allowed everything to be played on with the advantage he could have put a stop to it right there even though that would have been the stupidest thing in history and we would have been talking about that more but no, he allows everything to be played on because there was a little bit of a tussle right there. Frank mm -hmm. Lopez gets the ball, gets a beautiful shot, bottom, middle left corner, back of the net. Awesome positioning at everything. That gets a goal. So in the end, yeah. Man, yeah, they were so close to getting a point. But of course, we have to talk about 90 plus when the referee adds seven minutes and then I don't believe it was Lopez, but whoever was hurt from it was RDFC, Lopez. It was Lopez. It was it was Lopez. Okay, so the yeah, he gets injured and has a cramp, doesn't get off the field fast enough. So the referee was fair to add the time that he did. It was a detail. I did kind of take a uh, an estimate amount of time mm -hmm. that Frank Lopez was on the ground. It felt like a minute. A minute and a half, around a minute and a half. You know, not so, only that, yeah. and not only that, Jacob, it's one thing to milk the time by yep. playing, playing injured. Okay. In the professional level, it's uh, kind of normal, right? But did the team forget that there's also another way to milk the time? And that is to maintain possession. <laughs> take the ball over to the corner flag, not give the ball away with a dumb uh, yeah. uh, free kick that tried to cross the ball to the other sideline where there was nobody to receive it. And you give a, a throw in to OC right off the yeah. right away. You then had another opportunity where you end up causing a goal kick, which eventually led to the foul yeah. that led to the goal. 
And that foul in and of itself was so dumb. Mm-hmm. How the hell, when you're in the midfield, how are you going to go up with your knee continuously to the back of the player? That is going to be called a foul nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10. Yep. And what does that do? You give OCSC an opportunity to send players up for that free kick you know that while even if you do intercept that ball or clear that ball if you don't clear it way off the referee is going to let it play on and see how that that and OCSC continue to maintain possession close to the area which is what eventually happened he was not going to call the end of the match Oh, rightfully so, too. At OCSC, they kept getting it back. RGVFC could not clear it away. And that's what also happened on the first goal, too. If you take a look back at it, that's how OCSC was able to score their first goal, too. RGVFC, poor clearance. With the rebound, ended up being a goal because OCSC had that, too. So those were two that, It was up a corner. That was a corner kick, though, the first goal. The yes, second goal was my, my point still stands yeah. because they tried to kick it away, but it still ended up being with an Orange County player in the back of the net. So yes, with a and it's another set piece opportunity from that foul. Put mm-hmm. it inside the box, you have an opportunity. It gets trying to be cleared away. Rebound, block shot, rebound, block shot, rebound goal. And honestly, to me. I did not see a, f- a, a fault on Donovan uh, on on Jonathan Ricketts. I don't know why I keep on calling him Donovan, Donovan Ricketts. I think it was a Trinidad and Tobago player, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, uh, Jonathan Ricketts. I think he did what he needed to do was try to clear the ball in a, in an area that was away from like in the middle of the field where everybody were, from OCSC was waiting for that rebound, but. It's kudos to the um, positioning and the awareness by Sean Ugo Ukoli to be in a position to receive that ball right in front of goal and take that hard shot that was impossible for, for Colin Miller to react to and get that, 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 that goal. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's completely dumb that the referee added seven minutes and the goal came at the 98th and a half minute. But then you add, like you mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but then you add, like you mentioned, with um, Frank Lopez trying to milk the time for a minute and a half, you know, during stoppage, mm-hmm. a lot of the times the referees, they'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll just add, and they'll, and they'll tell the players, like, mm-hmm. the, amount of time that, the amount of time that you're going to be spending wasting time right now, I'm going to add that to the stoppage time, right? Yep. And that's what happened the week before, too. That's why it was like three minutes after uh, the added time was like five, and we played for two and a half minutes or so extra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, like I said, like I mentioned, and I'm sticking to this this hill, yes, the referee was god-awful when it comes to the second half. But he is not the reason why RGV lost. 
It was the decision, that decision making to milk the time by slaying on the ground rather than playing it smart and maintain possession, keep that ball away from your own area. And even look, you yourself get get fouled Mm -hmm. closer to their area or closer to their corner rather than putting yourself in a situation where you give an opportunity to OCSC to go towards your box. And that is where the lack of experience from players like Juan David Cabezas, like El Gringo Torres and Eric Pimentel, that's where these are the kind of situations where that experience comes in handy. Yeah, it's frustrating we couldn't have those players out on the field at that time. But, I mean, in the end, it's a good learning curve for the team. And uh, I do – I would say the referee did a fine job. It wasn't amazing, but I'd still say C+. I mean, it's not like one person had their leg broken and he didn't call a red card or something like that. So, you got to give him credit for that. He still kept it very civil. Um, and other than that, final thoughts for this. Yeah, it's just it's a learning curve, and RGVFC will learn from it. And well, they'll head to LA have, down the down the road. And we have to be patient, right? We have yep. to remember this is a brand new, pretty much a brand new team again. Again, you know. So um, there's going to be some growing pains. And like I said on Twitter, the win against Oakland Roots didn't make us a championship contender. And this loss against OCSC isn't going to make us the primary contender to the wooden spoon. So let's try to keep a cool head about it. You know, I think overall RGV played well. It's just those details of where the lack of experience kind of shown through, they kind of screwed themselves in the foot. But other than that, and I was really surprised, Jacob, that even on Facebook, the comments were pretty uplifting and giving them huge props for the fight that the Toros put in those 90 plus minutes. Mm-hmm. Because it, it surprised me because usually you'd be like, ah, this team sucks, blah, 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 blah. But no, I think for the most part, uh, it was pretty, it, it, it were pretty positive, right? And yeah. that's a, and that's a very welcome and positive change I've seen from uh, about the fan base, you know, that they're a lot more um, knowledgeable about what's going on with the with the club, and that this is pretty much a this is a marathon, not a sprint. But the issue is going to be if they can keep on making these errors consistently, yeah. Then you know, then there's something needs to be some questions need to be answered, right? Yep. But I think overall, um, RGV, I'd give them uh, a C. Just barely passing. Just barely passing. Yeah, exactly. Not not being that mean teacher that gives somebody a 69% right at the end of six weeks for no reason. Don't be that guy or don't be that teacher, please. Um, If they're right that close, just pass them. So that's why I'd say, yeah, I I definitely pass them because they, they did. They did well enough throughout the game for me to be saying they tried. And they, even though they came out of there with zero points, 
they tried their butts off and there's a lot to be taken from this and there's a lot that still needs to be done but a lot of positivity throughout this that gives that gives me as a a fan and b as an analyst courage to say this team has has an opportunity to do something this season yeah definitely definitely and i think had had the toros been able to come away with the draw i think we would have been the first to say like this team needs to be taken off of the field uh, uh like carried off of our shoulders because of what they did mm-hmm. uh, so i mean overall it was positive like i said there's minor details that i think need to defensively that need to be fixed offensively there's still a lot of work to be a lot of work to be done and i think we'll be we are the first ones to say, to kind of say that um but hopefully that gets fixed in the next couple of games uh, but before we talk about the game against uh la galaxy 2 um that will happen this wednesday at 9 30 uh our time there was a situation that was brought a, brought to our attention on social media twitter i love you but sometimes you can be so toxic i swear um there was a situation uh, during and after the game that kind of made the rounds on Twitter uh, regarding a, some members of the RGVFC fans that uh, were there at the game. I don't know if anybody who's watch, who watching or listening right now kind of have been have seen the accusations that uh were made including that a member of the orange county sc front office was hit in this situation we have it under a very reliable source that the majority of those claims made by o- made by OCSC fans on Twitter after the match did in fact happen, and it's a shame that some OCSC fans went as far as generalizing the whole fan base, calling us garbage, and telling us to eat a ba- eat a bucket of. It just goes to show that when you go to a game, especially on the road, I mean, should, this should not happen neither when you're at HB Park or if you go to a visit, if you visit somebody else's stadium. It shouldn't happen regardless. But it's even more important to behave yourself when you're visiting because you're representing the fan base and you're representing the club if you want to believe it or not you are representing the club any actions that you do goes a long way to label a complete fan base and that's exactly what happened because of an isolated situation by a certain little group of people all of the visiting fans were labeled negatively and the whole fan rgb fan base was labeled negatively 
by some OCSC fans. Whenever you wear the shirt, regardless if you're from the Valley or you're from someplace else, you are representing our fan base. And I'm not saying that these people, these uh, fans from outside the city should, uh, should not travel, should not go and support the Toros. By all means, y'all are so welcome to go and support our players, to go and support our club. <laughs> we want that. We want this fan base to grow outside of the Rio Grande Valley. But you have to behave, especially in a very family-oriented uh, environment such as Championship Stadium in Orange County. So I wanted to bring it up because I did want to kind of set the record straight that these, these um, appalling situations did in fact uh, occur. And also a research server reminder that our actions are easily you know, being looked at by other people. And with the age of social media and how quickly these news, you know, spread around like wildfire and you've got this whole virtual game of telephone where like, you know, people start adding details that maybe aren't exactly true uh, or stuff like that. You know, it can grow out of proportion really, really quick. But the truth of the matter is these, um, these events did take place. And we, uh, and speaking of myself, I do not tolerate those actions. This does not reflect the RGV fan base as a whole. And I hope that we can learn from this, move on, and show what the, the positivity that this fan base can show to the rest of the USL. Um, I mean, I think you said it all, Edson. Um, I, I agree with you. Uh, at first glance, of course, you know, you don't want to believe it. Um, but yeah, we were told by a very reliable source that those allegations were indeed true. And that should in uh, no circumstances ever in any freaking place ever take place and we still hear it especially in soccer thankfully it's you know things were dealt with quickly and yeah you're gonna spend a night in jail most likely if things happen they say it at the beginning of games you're not supposed to use vulgar language this is a family environment and uh if you know they also say see some if you see something wrong say something and sure enough thankfully you know people came and tried to de-escalate de it most likely and it's just yeah it's it sucks to have to say this but those are the reasons why things are in place to keep things in the end family friendly because soccer again is for all and your rivals for 90 minutes, but that does not mean that fans should try and fight other fans or get on other fans' bad sides on purpose. In the end, everything should still just be banter, and you should be friends after the game. And that's why, you know, the best thing that I've heard from Seattle and Portland fans are 
yeah, they might be rivals for 90 minutes. Some people might hate each other a little bit more, but those are the people that take take things a little bit more extreme. But in the end, afterwards, they can go grab a beer and talk how much they hate L.A. <laughs> and that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's always a fu- funny thing. But it's it's true. Like, you know, the game coming up Sunday, hopefully nothing bad happens when San Antonio fans travel down, if they do, to RGV, which I don't believe that they will. But it is still true with the fans that end up going to the game. Hopefully RGVFC fans are respectful to them before and, you know, give them a little bit of banter throughout the 90 minutes. But then afterwards, if they're still there, you know, are, you know, f- still whatever they're basically hopefully everything stays civil mm-hmm. so yeah it's just and i think that i think uh the rgb fan base for the most part uh in the rio grande valley has kind of proven that you know that they are very respectful that they are welcoming to visiting uh supporters groups visiting fans and we've had the curse from New Mexico United come over. We've even had San Antonio uh, SGs come over and interact with the Stampede at the tailgate without a problem at all. And, you know, um, we've rarely had an issue with rowdy behavior from RGB fans. And then to all of a sudden hearing this, obviously, you know, we kind of did want to not reject, but it like you kind of think twice about, you know, believing everything they say on social media, right? Uh, because we really, really didn't have, there, there is no history, right? There's very little history about that, you know? And especially with the fact, you know, that I have it under, you know, under good understanding that Nobody from the Rio Grande Valley or very few people, if anybody, even took a trip to OC to watch that game. So it's like there was a reason reason to doubt, you know, Um, and it's a shame that, you know, by one small group of people, our reputation gets tarnished and you could potentially ruin the first impressions of kids that go to the stadium for the first time have to deal with these uh, seeing this these aggressions you know really close and now like you as a parent and as the child you don't feel safe at a stadium anymore and that's not what we're here for as fans we're here to make this an open and welcoming place for everybody young old big small you know everybody but actions like these ruin it for everybody. And like I said, we hope that this doesn't repeat. And if it does repeat, we will continuously call out bad behavior. I will tell you that's much on my end. Yep. Yeah, I would say as much as next time, you know, if given league, as long as things, you know, are legally available to us, we might have to start to call out, you know, the actual people. <laughs> because then it becomes more of an issue. Of course, as long as that is okay from any sources or anything like that, they give us the green light to say that. But it's it's true. It be, However, it does, that a, does become a... a, a yes, very, legal. Yeah, it yeah. becomes a very gray line. That's why I'm saying if, 
if we're given the green light in general is what I'm saying. But it, it, yeah, yeah, because the last thing we need for is sure. to, to get sued for defamation. <laughs> exactly. So, well, yeah, um, if it's a, that, yeah, both of those are a whole different deal, most likely. But yeah, you don't want to get either one of those. But yeah, uh, but moving on, guys. Um, so as we mentioned before, RGVFC will be having a midweek game uh, this Wednesday against LA Galaxy 2, who lost that's this, this past Saturday against San Antonio FC 2-1. Uh, to one. From what I saw from the, from the match, um, LA Galaxy 2 was able to hang on for a lot of moments um, with San Antonio. San Antonio got the opening goal, but after the goal, it was just continuous bombardment from LA Galaxy 2 until they got the, they got the equalizer. In fact, at times, like I said, at times, LA Galaxy 2 looked like, looked like the better team. You know, a um, couple of red cards went in there. Uh, San Antonio got the go-ahead goal. It's a lot more difficult for LA Galaxy 2 to try to find that equalizer. But they tried. In the last couple of minutes, they had a lot of opportunities to, uh, to score that equalizing goal. Um, but uh, good defensive performance by SAFC kept them with the win. And now they're going to be hosting LA Galaxy uh, RGVFC at uh, in Carson, and I think they're going to I think they're going to be playing at the, the actual MLS Stadium as well at StubHub Center, uh, just like or they did against San Antonio. Now. Yeah, well, you know what they say. <laughs> it's been um, the Home Depot Center. It's been the StubHub Center. It's been multiple centers. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love money. Yeah, but yep. here's the thing, guys. RGVFC, despite LA Galaxy 2 being one of the lowest teams in general in the in the USL championship, being an MLS2 team, RGVFC have never beaten LA Galaxy 2 in all of its history. Now you couple that with our shortened roster due to injuries, with rotation and fatigue from this game against Orange County SC. That's not a very good cocktail of ingredients uh, going up into this match. What are you expecting from this game, Jacob? Well, I mean, thankfully, Again, RGVFC, we go back to sleep. RGVFC, um, if they have the advantage because they're used to central standard time and now get two hours back, they get, you know, the one back that they lost a while back plus one. So, yes, I think they'll be more well, well rested, even though it is still a midweek match. It is going to be difficult on on their legs just because they're more tired and on the roster but I honestly do think RGVFC can come out of there with a point, which is huge considering, well, the circumstances you're still on the road and you haven't beaten a team ever, but I don't think really, well, besides Robert Coronado, I don't think any of the players have really played against this Los Dos team. Maybe of course, Tyler Derrick, but. Because those last games being from LA Galaxy too. And so, yeah, a couple of players knowing that team. So that could benefit. But I think a draw is still very possible considering 
Well, they have time to clean up their mistakes from OCSC and they can learn from that and put that into good use. So there's a plus they got real game, you know, insight. And now they can, again, clean that up midweek and try, try it again Wednesday. So what is your score prediction? I'm going to go one-to-one. Okay. I think for me, considering that we lost way back way, considering that at this moment, we lost Emilio Icaza, we don't have Juan David Cabezas, we don't have Tyler Derrick, we don't have Eric Pimentel, we don't have Jose Francisco Torres that our attack is very dull at this moment. I'm actually going to have to agree with Jacob and saying one, one mm-hmm. because for those reasons, but then you look ahead and you've got, you're hosting San Antonio FC. San Antonio FC, like we mentioned, they defeated LA Galaxy 2. They lost, they defeated Detroit City FC last week. But I still think that they're being overhyped at this moment. However, I do think and forgive me for saying this, but I do think that we are losing this first South Texas Derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely have to agree with you. It just, yeah, all, all the everything that RGVFC, you know, are going through. It's it's true. It's very difficult to see RGVFC winning that matchup considering they don't have a lot of players back. They will get Tyler Derrick back most likely if he's healthy when they come back home due to the fact that, well, like you mentioned, Tyler Derrick did not make the trip up to OCSC, which means he is not necessarily able to make the trip up to Los Angeles because he's not with the team at the Mm -hmm. moment, which means he's still back in RGV, probably in Edinburgh right at the moment as we speak. So there's, there's that. Um, but other than that, it's, yeah, it, it, it's very difficult to see RGVFC with the attacking power, like you said, to get those points. Maybe if they're lucky, but then again, it's a tired squad. So you have to put in the six substitutes that are younger and then you don't have that, those veterans on your team. It, it's, it just, it does not look very promising for RGVFC to pick up three points. If we're lucky, we'll get to see them pick up one point, but most likely it could be a three to one loss at HEB Park. I'm going to go with two one. Um, I think, like I said, overall, <clears throat> things aren't looking good. Um, they're looking good, you know, in the long term, but I think in the short term, given all these circumstances, it, the, the, the panoramic, panoramic doesn't look too well at the short term. Um, bold prediction for the match against LA Galaxy 2 3-0 for some some odd reason the Frank Lopez wakes up nets a hattie against LA Galaxy 2 
and the Toros win three to zero for the first uh, for the first time against Los Dos. Okay, so my bold prediction will be even crazier than that. Besides, you know, a hat trick, I think uh, two two players from LA Galaxy. We always have to go for this. We'll get red cards, so they will be playing with nine. Considering the fact that it's red cards galore this season in the USL Championship. Exactly. So <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, the bold prediction not sounding too bold anymore, but that's, I mean, it's pretty bold considering too. Not to mention, yes, it will be 3-0, but one of those will be scored by Miller. Yes, Miller will score a goal. <laughs> well, let's, we'll see what happens, honestly. Um, like I said, I really hope I get proven wrong, especially in that match against uh, San Antonio FC. Yep. Luckily, it doesn't. This game won't count for Copa Tejas, but obviously it counts for standings, right? But there's still a lot of season two uh, to go. There's still a lot of season left. Uh, hopefully, things will improve for RGVSC. We start getting these players back. We figure out what is going on with Adolfo Hernandez, why he hasn't been even on the bench. For RGVSC, for him, I'm assuming it could it could be a, a, a visa issue, but you know, uh, like I said, we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens. Hope we get proven wrong uh, on Wednesday, and we get proven wrong on Sunday while we're watching as we're making our way back from uh, Circuit of the Americas, and yep. uh, Daniel Suarez gets his first win. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be a crazy turn of events considering it's road course racing. You know, there was speaking of racing, there was a there was a joke that I forgot to mention while we were talking about uh, uh, the game against Orange County SC. It seemed like RGVFC had the Red Bull effect on them. So close to earning a podium and it all went to crap at the very last moment. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, for those of you all listening to it and not watching it i am smiling very big because man that that makes me that that joke made me so happy even though it's it's a burn on rgvfc it's still a burn on max verstappen and red bull and that makes me so happy because christian horner does not deserve the best he deserves a lot of bad karma coming his way this season as well as max verstappen because well the press and the, what the drivers are saying now about Max Verstappen is pretty great as well. It's finally coming up and showing that, well, he's not as good of a human or a driver as everybody says he is. Yeah, well, well like I said, that was the first race and there's still a lot to go, you know. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it was, I, I, I just thought it was yeah. in my mind. I just thought it was funny considering the fact oh, that. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> considering it's, the fact it's that, true. It's true. But considering the fact that uh, I, you, like, I'm rooting for Checo Pettis and Red Bull. <laughs> it's like, you're yourself burning your own, uh, your, your own favorite team. Yeah. I mean, who else is going to laugh at, at ourselves, right? You know, <laughs> I, I mean, it's true. I mean, you had it. You, you had it uh, you had it made to get a podium yep. uh, and somehow you know uh, you just you screw it up 
and you end up DNFing with both of your uh, both of your pilots. So, but anyway, guys, um, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening to the Down in the Valley podcast. Uh, as always, you can go ahead and follow us uh, at Down in the RGV on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. Um, you be sure to also check out my articles at the Striker Texas. And uh, my perf- uh, and my participations at the Striker Tejas podcast, where I can where I talk with uh, about RGVFC uh, with the other uh, beat reporters from the Striker Texas of the Texas USL teams. Um, be sure to also follow me at eochoa underscore eight on Twitter and on Instagram, and be sure to like my official Facebook page at San Javier Ochoa, the Striker Texas. Jacob, where can they find you? You can find me at jakebyoung four five six on Twitter. The Overreacted Gamer on YouTube and Twitch, as well as TikTok for The Overreacted Gamer. And yeah, that's about it for where you can find me. Well, and guys, like I said, thank you so much for your support. Be sure you guys share the the share the podcast. Let everybody know. Recommend us. Um, give us a rating on Spotify and all these uh, Google uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all these podcasting platforms. Be sure to give us a, a rating of what you think we deserve. Five stars, four stars. And as always, your feedback is always appreciated. Um, I hope you guys keep continue to learn more about the Toros and learn more about what's going on within the team. That is our main priority to make sure that we as a fan base become more informed about what's going on with the RGVC Toros because we know for sure that traditional media really uh, has not been able to go as in-depth as we try to be in the Down in the Valley podcast. But y'all be safe out there. We'll see you all next week in another episode of the Down in the Valley podcast. And hopefully we can talk about good news and not the bad news that we're expecting. Y'all have a good night.